The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Matthew chapter 13 contains parables about the kingdom of God. A parable is simply a made-up story that Jesus gave in order to demonstrate a spiritual truth. One of the most important things we can remember about parables is that they only mean what Jesus intended them to mean. In other words, when we go beyond what Jesus explains that the parable is about, we're going beyond the meaning of the parable. In the parable of the tares and the wheat, which is the second one in chapter 13, Jesus explains to his disciples that it is not for them to determine who is or is not a child of God. Rather, he will sort them all out in the end of time. Join us today as we learn this very important lesson about the kingdom of God. First, we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy. Here the dying 
chapter. There's a parable contained there that I want us to look at if the Lord will help us tonight. I've attempted to preach on all of these parables from time to time and hopefully most of you have a pretty clear and uh, strong grounding in what these parables are about but there's there's several parables here in the book of Matthew in the 13th chapter that we call the kingdom parables and these um, these parables are about the kingdom of God. Uh, the, uh, the first parable is the parable of the sower and the seed. And we've often referenced that and sometimes preached directly on it. But the one I want to go to tonight is the second parable. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24, we read that another parable put he forth unto them, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Now I want to stop right there in the middle of that parable because I want us to reflect for a moment on what we've read so far. One of the most important things to remember about parables is that parables are made-up stories. And these made-up stories are, are given to illustrate some point, in this case with Jesus' parables, to illustrate a spiritual point. But the parable only means what the parable maker intends for it to mean. We don't need to go any farther than Jesus went, for example. So if, for example, I were to preach one of these parables to you and say, now I know Jesus said it means this, but it can also mean that. You don't need to listen to that part of it. <laughs> because what I'm saying to you is I know more than Jesus, the one who made up the parable. I know more than he knows. And I don't know more than he knows, and you know that. So we have to look and see from either the context or sometimes, and in this case, it's the, that's the way it is, from the direct teaching what the parable means. For instance, you've got to be careful because in the first parable, the seed, we're told, is the word of God. In that first parable, we'll mention it in a few minutes, I hope, uh, come back to it. But that first parable has to do with the preaching of the gospel and the effect it has and the response that certain categories of children of God have when they hear it. And by the way, it's important to understand and to remember that in that first parable, that's the parable of the sower and the seed where it talks about the seed being sown on the wayside and the stony ground and the thorny ground and then the good ground, that he's not talking about different uh, three categories of non-children of God and only one category of children of God. He's talking about four categories of children of God. It's not, you know, in most of the places in the world you go, you'll hear it explained that other way. But it's important that we understand what he's talking about. And here's why I can tell you that the first parable is not telling us anything about who is or is not a child of God. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus defines it, he does not tell us anything about who is or is not a child of God. And when we try to add that in there to it, we're adding to that parable. But the parable we're looking at here, the parable of the tares and the wheat, is dealing with this issue of those who are children of God and those who are not children of God and the fact that they are dwelling together. And there's essentially the question that these servants ask here in verse 27 is an important question. And it's, it's important in many ways, but especially in the sense that it will help define what you really believe about how, how children of God exist in this world and how those who are not children of God exist in this world. Notice what they say. They say, from whence then hath it tares? In other words, where do the tares come from? 
Where do the tares come from? This is a man who sowed wheat. He had good seed. He sowed good seed in his field. And the good seed came up. But while they were sleeping, he wasn't sleeping, by the way. Notice that it was while the servants were sleeping. The Lord wasn't puzzled at all about what happened. <laughs> they were puzzled. Sometimes, is that not our lot in life? Are we not often puzzled by what we see going on around us? And, and these that were sleeping, as we sometimes do, were puzzled. And they said, sir, you sowed good seed in your field, but I see tares out there. Where did they come from? In order to answer it. Because you see, we have, friend, we have dear friends who are Calvinists. Or I call them Calvinist friends. I understand there's different degrees of Calvinism, okay? But the John Calvin Calvinists would say it, they would answer that question this way. They would say, well, the Lord made the good seed and he made the bad seed and he put them both here to do his will. That's what most of our Reformed and Calvinist friends would say, okay? But I want to ask you a question. Is that true? Is that really what happened? You know, it appears to me that even the servants here kind of almost knew the answer. They said, sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Did not you sow the good seed? Notice the answer that he gave. In verse 28, he said unto them, an enemy hath done this. Where did the tares come from? An enemy hath done this. An enemy is the cause of the tares. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 for just a verse or two. And then let's, let's pick up in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, we read in verse 15 that the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, now notice what's happened here. God has put the good seed in the garden. <laughs> He's put a man who was innocent, a man who was not a sinner, a man named Adam who he had created in innocency. He was not created in sin. And he put him in the garden and he said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Go with me over to the third chapter and we'll see that the serpent came along. There was a serpent here in this garden who was, we're told, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said. Notice what he does first. This serpent, this enemy. We'll, we'll learn as we go through the scriptures that this serpent was the incarnation of or embodiment of the devil who is the adversary. Satan literally means the adversary. He's the enemy. And this serpent who is the enemy initially began to question God's word. Did God really say this? And notice what he did immediately afterwards. He twisted God's word. Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's not what God said. I've said this so many times here, you probably know where I'm headed with this. But God didn't say, oh, you can't eat of all the trees of the garden. God said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden. See, God's, God's word, God's commandments are not commandments of negativity. Yeah, he tells us not to do certain things, but... Every, for every one thing he takes away, he gives a hundredfold, child of God. You know, I've shared this before, but 
when I first got to the point where I could drive, you know, and I was able to drive on my own, I was 16 or 17 years old, and they finally turned me loose, and Daddy said, okay, son, you can go anywhere you want to in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can go to Olive Garden. You can go to Outback. You can, I don't know if they were there then, but you can go to those nice restaurants over the, the landing. Does that date me? <laughs> that dates me pretty bad, doesn't it? <laughs> you, can go to, you can go to the Cypress Inn. You can go anywhere you want to. You can go to McDonald's or Jack's or anywhere over there you want to go, but you just can't go to the university strip. You know, for those of you that, most of you know this, but for those of you that don't know, that's where all the bars or most of the bars are in Tuscaloosa. Well, you know what I heard? I didn't hear Outback and Cypress Inn and all that. I heard, you can't go. Oh, here, that's the first thing, right? As soon as you tell a child you can't go do that, what do they do? They want to go do that. <laughs> and so what the devil found here, what Satan found here, in Eve was a ready, willing participant, really. Actually, I don't know. She might not have been that ready because she wasn't a sinner like I am. But notice what he did. He said, question the Lord's word. Has God really said this? And then twisted God's word. And then Eve added to God's word. She said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Lest you die. So what's the big deal? If you can't eat it, you probably shouldn't touch it. That's probably true, but that's not what God said. And I've said this also many times. That one of the problems with, with expanding, expanding and adding to God's word is that in this case, for example, when she reached up and touched the fruit and she didn't die, you know, what does that say? Well, wait a minute. I, I thought God said I can't touch it or I'd die. But I didn't die, so maybe if I eat it, it's okay, you see? Now, I really don't know how she got to that point, Brother Buddy, of adding to God's Word. I don't know if Adam said to her, you know, because you know, it, it, was, she wasn't around when God first gave the commandment. Maybe Adam said, well, I think I'll improve on God's commandment and say, don't eat it and don't touch it, okay? But let's just be careful and let's be clear and let's be faithful to quote God's word the way it is and not add to it. What's the big deal, you say? Well, think about it. If you tell kids that um, drugs are bad for you, which they are, and that if you ever smoke a joint, you'll die, which you won't, then if they ever smoke a joint and don't die, they say, well, Maybe daddy wasn't telling me the truth about the rest of it. Maybe it's not so bad for me. You see, don't add to the truth. Just tell the truth. That's all you got to do. Tell the truth. And it's okay to tell our children that the world never gives you the end of a thing. They just give you the beginning of it. You know, the world just always tells you, hey, come on. This will make you feel good. It does sometimes. There's pleasure in sin for, the, for a season. It starts out that way, but it doesn't end up that way. Nobody ever sees, you, you know, you don't see any advertisements on TV of people taking a drink of alcohol, maybe sitting around drinking a beer around the fireplace or around the, uh, the campfires in the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, you see those pictures and man, man, it looks good. It looks like that's, I want to join that. I, you know, that, that's something that would be fun. They never show you, though, the end of the thing, which it can end up with abuse, 
of that drug, abuse of a spouse or a family, and somebody ultimately dying in the gutter somewhere, you see. I know that's an extreme example, but my point is, is remember, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. And so notice, she added to God's word, and then the serpent, he not only questioned God's word and then twisted God, God's word, he ended up contradicting God's word. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And then, not only did he question God's word, he impugned God's motives. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. In other words, you know, Eve, what's going on here is God is trying to keep you from something good. He's trying to keep you beat down. He's trying to keep you under his foot. He's trying to keep you under his thumb. He knows that you could be something bigger and better, even maybe even better than God, at least as good as God. You see, is that, is that not the message the world has today? that we're just as good as God, that you don't need that old fogey religion. You don't need those old Ten Commandments. They're just suggestions anyway. <laughs> Isn't that what the world teaches? You need to name it and claim it. You need to go out and grab it. You need to get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid because that's the only way you'll get ahead in life. But here we see that all of this appealed to the woman, and she saw that the tree was good for food. You know, I read about all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes. And then it says it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. It was pleasant, it was nourishing. It looked like it had some uh, uh, appeal to her. I read about another thing in the world is the lust of the flesh. And then it says it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. I read about something else in the world called the pride of life. And here we see that all of those things enticed her, and she ate, and she gave to her husband to eat. And you know what happened? In the day they ate thereof, they surely died. They died. They didn't die physically that day. They didn't kill over in death. But I can tell you this, God says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Nobody ever lived a thousand years that I read about in the Scripture. But more importantly, on this mo in this moment, on this day, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. And from that moment forward, man needed a Savior. Man needed saving. And from that point forward, as we'll begin to read in chapter 4 and chapter 5, not only did death enter into the world, but a man caused another man's death. Cain. We read about others who were of that evil one. We read about tares, okay? So who are these? Let's, let's go back to our parable. Let's go back to where we started. And let's pick up where, God, where Jesus himself defines who the players are. Turn a page over to verse 37 in my Bible. It's just a page over. And he tells us who each one of these characters are in this parable. He says, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. That's the Lord. That's God, okay? The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. 
The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. We'll come back to that in a moment. So notice what we have here. We have a, a parable that describes the experience of all of the children of God through all of the ages who live here in this world. This is not eternal heaven. This is not heavenly portals. This is in the world here because there aren't any tares in heaven. Praise God. This has a worldly, earthly focus, not a heavenly, eternal focus. So the tares are those who are not children of God. The good seed, the, the wheat there, the good seed, they are children of God. And the way the tares got here is not from God, you see. If you go back, you go over with me to Romans chapter 5 just for a minute. In Romans chapter 5, we read how sin entered into the world. The things that happen in this world, the sin that's in this world, did not come from God. Notice in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we read that, uh, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. It wasn't by God, it was by one man, Adam. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's how sin got into this world. If you go with me on over to the, eighth, the ninth chapter of Romans, that, that chapter that tells us about the sweet doctrine of election, the fact that all men would have been sinners sent to hell, but for the grace and love and mercy of God. We read over there that he told Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And I want to say to you, child of God, that's what the doctrine of election is all about. It's not, about the, it's not about the wrath of God. It's about the compassion and the mercy of God. If God's wrath were all that were at play, all men would be sent to hell. But God was a loving God. He was a compassionate God, and he had mercy on whom he would have mercy. That's what the doctrine of election is all about. When he says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, the focus is upon loving Jacob. You see, the way that God loved us is that Jacob, if you go back to Malachi, the first chapter, you'll read where this quote comes from. And he tells, in, in that first chapter of Malachi, those Jews over there are saying, how have you loved us? They're questioning God. Well, how is it even that you loved us? They've kind of gotten up into God's face, so to speak, and said, we don't even understand how it is that you loved us. He said, I'll tell you how I loved you. I loved Jacob and I hated Esau, and yet they were twins. And Jacob was just like Esau. There was no difference in them by nature. There was no difference in them by their actions. In fact, if you go read about Jacob's life, Jacob's life was a miserable life up to a certain point. And even afterwards, he still struggled with that old man. Jacob was a conniver. He was a deceiver. He was not somebody who deserved the grace of God. And yet God loved Jacob. Even though he was just like Esau, he loved him. And that's what this is telling us. He's saying, this is what the doctrine of election is all about. I loved you when you did not deserve it. I had compassion on you and had mercy upon you when you did not deserve it. That's what election is all about. It's about love and compassion and mercy. And then he comes down here as he answers these Two, two objections to election we don't have time to go into. Verse 14 said, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? You know, God, it just wouldn't be right if you chose one and didn't give everybody a chance. Well, I don't believe in a chance salvation. If all we had was a chance, there's no chance. <laughs> he said, God forbid. And that's where he tells us it's about love and mercy and compassion. And then he comes down to verse 
uh, 19, he says, Thou wilt say unto me then, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? This is that old absoluter objection. Everybody's doing what God predestinated them to do anyway. <laughs> well, we're not absoluters here. We don't believe that these tares and wheat both come from God. They both come from Adam, yes. They're both descendants of Adam. But notice what he said. Hath not the potter power over the clay, verse 21, of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Now listen to this, verse 22 and 23. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? This is those tares he's talking about here. These are the children of the wicked one. And notice what it says about them. God endured them. He didn't create them. And they were fitted or they were made up in their nature. They were fitted to destruction. But notice what he says in verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Child of God, if you're ever in the portals of heaven, if you get to spend eternity with God himself, it's because he before prepared you for glory. That's the good seed, you see. The good seed was sown by God. You understand? This good seed came from God. The bad seed, the tares, those tares were of the wicked one. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of two-seedism. That's an old heresy that went around. I'm talking about the fact that if you're a child of God, it's because God made you a child of God. If you're not a child of God, God didn't make you that way. Adam did, okay? <laughs> you inherited that from Adam. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.